the project. Kuwait. Learn. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Project. And in today's episode, I am sitting down with Ruben Garcia and Fatma Jimena. We dive into so many different topics, more specifically the feet and how important the feet are in your entire kinetic chain. I mean, when they say from your head to your toes, it's literally from your toes to your head. So stick around, listen to this episode. And if you have any questions, shoot us a DM and don't forget to leave us a rating and review and have a chance to win a limited edition t-shirt. All this and more in today's episode. So today I got Mr. Motion himself <laughs> on the project. Pleasure to be here. Mr. Ruben Garcia. Exactly. All right. So I didn't mess up your name. It's the most common family name in Spain. So no. <laughs> and then we have Fatma Juma, the sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> are you, you going to keep quiet or are you going to chime in and like correct them? Or? Mm, I'll try not to. Right, you guys can pick on me. That's cool. That's definitely cool. So um, Mr. Motion, Ruben. So mm-hmm. what is this I hear about? Like you read a lot of books. Well, yes, I do. It's one of my things to keep my sanity. I really need to read. And I try to target to read one book per month. Whatever it is, I'm, we are talking about 300, 400 pages book per month. I like to read things related and not related with the things I do because I like to gather points or highlights of different topics and themes and just try to blend them together in whatever way I can and just enhance whatever I know. For example, let's talk about investments. Let's talk about mindset and mindfulness and all of that and just apply it to my field in whatever way I can. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's that's really cool, dude. I mean, it's not every day you, you meet someone that always wants to educate themselves, mm-hmm. you know, stay up to times mm-hmm. with things. I have the rule to uh, every like three months, I do an order of 10, 11 books just straight away. So paperback. Yeah. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> stay away from the blue light then? Completely. Yeah. That as much point. as I can, I hate it. I can't do it. That's amazing. That is truly amazing. That, you know, everyone sees you on Instagram. I see you on Instagram mm-hmm. and you practice what you preach, which I, I think, think is so. Amazing. Yeah. So, I think so what about your daily routine? Well, my daily routine has been a mess until quite a few uh, months because uh, we were so absorbed into work and all the, the effort that you need to put on that. But we took the decision to wake up now at 6.30 a.m. and go upstairs to the gym we have in our building and just work a little bit, like 30, 40 minutes and just kind of be fresh and ready for what the day brings. And well, mostly I focus on her (laughs) (laughs) while she works out. Basically what I do is like I choose two, three, four movements maximum. And I just go through them, three repetitions, like three sets. And that's all what I do. No more. That's my morning routine. Then we work for the most part of the day. We're talking about from nine to eight. It's a lot of time. And then uh, the moment work is done, like it's done. Like I completely switch off from patients, work issues, everything. The first thing I do is take off my shoes. For me, it's like a ritual. The moment I take off my shoes, when I arrive home, it's my time. And then I just take a shower to clean all the bad energy I could absorb from everyone. And uh, there we are, clean and just ready to sleep again. I like that. I like that you take a shower to clean off the bad energy. Mm -hmm. Explain that a little bit more, because we also have a a Psyched with Dr. D segment that we do on Tuesdays. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested in the psychology part of it, because we had an episode on toxicity and toxic people. Yeah, definitely. We are talking about we are professionals that we are dealing with at least 10 patients one-to-one per day. 
And, you know, each patient comes from different environments, different situations, like different things. And each one brings its own thing to you and you are in contact with them. So you absorb the energy that you are surrounded with. No matter if it's good or it's bad, you absorb it. So unfortunately, we're talking a physiotherapist clinic. So mainly the patients that come are in pain, are with discomfort, and that's negativity. And then you add all the dramas that can happen around the clinic or the stress because you have to finish on time or the next patient is here. So at the end of the day, I really feel it. I don't know how. I really feel the bad energy in me and I just have the need to clean everything just to be just clean a new one, my home back. That's amazing. <laughs> like that's, no, that, that's such an awesome behavior to adapt. Mm -hmm. I mean, because look, a shower makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think we can all agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a bad day or whatever, you're tired, a shower usually makes you feel good. True. So, so that's pretty cool. It's like my, my ritual. I just, I just need it. Just shoes off, shower, I'm done with the day. That's it. Now my time. Like one of my, um, my Chinese medicine professor always said too, because you're dealing with patients, exactly as he said, you're absorbing it. You're absorbing their pain. And it's important for healthcare practitioners as part of taking care of themselves to rid themselves of it. And for him and for most people, it's simple as that. Water, letting it flow through you. And then even doing specific work, retreats specifically for healthcare practitioners to practice on meditation and movement helps them cycle their energy so they're ready to perform to continue to give good care to the next set of patients for the time being. Wow, that's mm -hmm. amazing. So you practice Chinese medicine? Yeah, acupuncture. Mixed. Oh, okay. All right. That's pretty cool. So has acupuncture been blown up over the last five years compared to before? I mean, before you barely heard about it. And now it seems like everybody's jumping on that bandwagon of becoming, you know, doing the dry needling and all that stuff. I mean, I had an uncle who was severely overweight and this is in the mm -hmm. 1990s. <laughs> he was telling us the story. He's like, yeah, I got Chinese needles, so I'd stop eating. He was sitting there eating burgers while he was getting needles. So <laughs> it depends. Like Chinese medicine, acupuncture is different than dry needling because dry needling still is acupuncture. It's just the West took it, called it something else, and put more science behind it. So it was more palatable for people to understand. The minute you stick a needle in, it is acupuncture. But the theory is different. Chinese acupuncture is on based on meridians where dry needling, what most people do here in Kuwait is just trigger point release, muscle release. So a lot of people are doing dry needling. I would say no one else is doing medical acupuncture other than myself in Kuwait or the Chinese doctors that are here. So it's a little different. Ruben, I'm going to throw a question at you. I'm not trying to cause any trouble here, <laughs> cool, but I got to throw this question over here. Now, from your perspective, because you're huge on movement, dude, you're mm -hmm. all about like moving the body, moving it well and everything. How do you feel about someone going to get a quick fix with acupuncture or dry needling versus addressing the underlying issue? Like what you posted the other day of, are your feet right? And mm -hmm. I think you had a post with your pinky toe or something. Yeah. So how do you feel about that when, okay, I'm going to get the quick fix rather than address the main issue? Well, it's a completely mistake. That's a complete mistake that... Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. To, it was a good question. There's a so. post he has from... <laughs> Years ago, before we met, before I knew him, I was like, who is this? You don't need dry needling physio or any of this. Uh, so we've had this discussion, but I, yeah, understood, his con so I understood his context. It's a, it's a completely mistake, right? As you said, people tend to look for the quick fix, whatever is cheaper, more quick and effortless. And what happened is uh, we are used to instant reward. The problem here is that, unfortunately, your money cannot buy your health. You want to be better, you have to earn it, meaning that you have to work on it. There's no money that can buy your health here unless 
because it's a hospital, whatever surgery we're talking about, it's not the point. When it comes to fixing movement, fixing patterns, fixing to the discomfort or the problems you might have right now, your brain needs to be rewired. It's not about you laying on a bed and someone doing the work for you. That will open definitely doors and windows and opportunities for professionals of movement to repair that pattern if they figure out or know how. But someone touching you, putting hands on or treating you while you do nothing, that's just healing the tissue and it's just a patch or a stick that will last for two, three days. The moment you stand up from that table and you leave that place, your brain is going to keep moving in the way exactly that brought you to that table. And in that, you are back to point zero. So that's why when we meet each other, we were like, wow, we perfectly match. You do this work, I do this work, we fix patients. <laughs> I seek you out. <laughs> to come. Happy together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's 100% true. You can't recover from any problem unless you correct it properly with movement patterns. So you can't have a clinic and you can't recover properly unless you have either your physiotherapist who is well-versed in movement, which most aren't, or you have the specialists who are and you have them in your center. And so that's part of the reason why we specifically, I wanted to have movement therapists in our current clinic where we work because in my past clinic, we didn't. Yeah. I mean, you could throw the name of your clinic out there. You're at discs. Yeah. Like that's cool. Like I, I no, no, that's totally fine guys. Like, yeah. I mean, it's the other way around. I want people to seek out the right information, mm -hmm. the right mm -hmm. attention from the right people. That's really important. Now, there's a place in California, I think it's called the Human Garage. Mm -hmm. And basically, you go in there and it's like an overhaul of your body. It's literally like maintenance and you, they go through everything, top to bottom, fixing everything. That's great. But it's extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as we know, going to clinics in general, especially if you're going to see an acupuncturist, a movement therapist, and then the trainer, that adds up at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into the questions, what are some quick, easy things people can do in their daily routine to better their movement and relieve some pain? To me, what I would advise is to consider and keep in mind, actually, that you are compound of joints in your body and you have to make sure that every one of them moves perfectly and there's no blockages or as better as you can. So brushing your teeth, you will not brush just one teeth you'll brush the entire tooth, right? So when you go to the gym, what comes to my mind is, okay, let's warm up. You move over your shoulders a little bit, you move over your knees, your back a little bit, and go to go. You still have probably like 60 joints in your body that you didn't even pay attention. That joints are not getting movement because you're not just going through them. So the less you move, the less that joints will move. So I would advise to start like a quick routine, but it could take like 15, 20 minutes of going through every single joint in your body through complex movements or complex, like involving the most part of your body, not meaning like super level or super skill, involving the most part of your body as you can through that movements and making sure that your brain doesn't forget that you have plenty of joints to move. The more mobile is the joint, the more able is to don't move because there's plenty of ranges of motion and degrees that joint can go through. So it's important to, to keep that in mind, like just get as much movement as you can and just don't forget to go through any of them. It's awesome. I agree 100% with it. And mobility is the big thing that people lose. Stretching isn't mobility. Stretching is just stretching. So I'm, I'm saying thank God someone actually said that because yeah. like that is such <laughs> sure. a big point right there. And even for myself and especially even working with him, 
and working with some other really good movement therapists, how we work out and how we move normally in a gym is in a planar movement. Our joints move in, you know, different ranges that we don't use. So my example, I always tell people, if you don't drive your car and you let it sit there, the engine dries up. If you don't move your joint in that range, whether it's painful or not or stiff, it's never going to get better. So people don't need to spend all their money on physiotherapy, on expensive things. If they start and doing just general mobility, general ranges of motion, what he's talking about through all their joints, it's the simple things that you can do. Then after maybe a week or two, if you're still having your problems, then seek out things. But mm-hmm. ultimately, if you had to choose, if you don't have much money of what should I spend it on? Going to physiotherapy or going to a movement therapist. Now, if you have access to a good movement therapist or trainer in the gym, you'd go straight to them. But if you have some a lot of pain in there, you go see a physio and a good physio should instruct you in some sort of movement program right away from the beginning or send you right away to someone. If you're just getting passive treatment over and over and over and over, then you're not going to get any benefit of it. Within usually one to two sessions, I have them either they're doing exercise or I've sent them on right away to someone. That's awesome. I would like to add also that to me it's very sad that still right now nowadays we... Fitness aficionados consider mobility like the boring part of the fitness session. Like, okay, let's do some mobility. Well, let's dedicate five minutes and they do some stretches for their hamstrings, for their <laughs> and that's it. I would like to just highlight how fun and, and interesting could be the fact of discovering your body and how able your body is to go through different ranges of motions, through different loads, different speeds. And One of the things that I encourage people is to go an entire session through mobility, mobility through movement. I mean, no stretch. Probably in five years, I didn't stretch zero. And it's something that people get surprised a lot. How come you don't stretch? Because I don't need it. Just going through the ranges of motion that my joints and my tissue needs. You don't need to stretch. Your tissue doesn't get tight and just jump there. So mobility could be actually very, very fun. And there's a lot to discover. I'm sure about it. There's a lot to discover. Something that I encourage constantly in my Instagram account. I'm glad you brought that up because mobility and stretching are two completely different things and people always confuse them. Now, here's a question about stretching. And Mm -hmm. I know we these are none of the questions I sent you, but it's just it leads into something else. And I wanted to get your thought on this Mm -hmm. since you brought it up. Because I saw a physiotherapist a few years ago back in the States and they were like, look, if you all you do is stretch, 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 if you're stretching a shortened muscle, it's going to recontract, so to speak. So then it's just going to get tighter. You'll stretch it, you'll get that relief, then it will get tight again. Mm -hmm. And you're going to continue just doing this vicious cycle versus actually working the muscle and finding out what's causing it to stay tight. Completely true. Because usually the muscle staying tight means it's protecting you from injury. Completely true. Right? So do you agree with that? Yeah, it's completely true. What I do is to a dynamic stretch, let's say that. So I would put you through uh, different positions and make you do different movements, always trying to take you out of your comfort zone, trying to stretch you a little bit. And uh, I'm not just statically maintaining you in that position, feeling the stretch. But while we pass through different and specific range of motion, we are stressing the tissue and the muscle that we want to elongate through the new position we want to achieve. And that's dynamic stretching. Okay. Static stretching has kind of been thrown out by pro sports. Now everyone's kind of into the dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, movement. Like if they're doing a, a lunge and a reach versus mm-hmm. before you'd see them lunge for like 10 minutes yeah, and yeah, they yeah. just stay there for, you Definitely. know, forever. Definitely. But uh, even if you look back at all the old school kind of drills that people used to do, just like high knees, 
running back and forth from easy drills that you did before. And I remember doing those as kids in elementary school. <laughs> those are the things that we should be doing, you know, now as mobility to warm up before things. And in regards to tightness, it is true. Tightness develops purely because of postural issues. And either it's from an injury and your muscles became tight and now the injury is healed, but your muscles have stayed tight because you never stressed it or challenged it to go back to how it was. Or sometimes tightness develops as a the body's way of not having enough strength. Sometimes tightness develops to try and give you some stability in there too. Mm-hmm. Cool. We got some of those uh, out of the way. Now, let's talk about <laughs> the kinetic chain. Mm-hmm. Everything affects us. Yeah. So can you just give us like a brief overview of how important the kinetic chain is in our movement, especially for athletes? Well, it all comes to understand that we are one. You are one piece. The biggest error I've seen is trying to break the body down in parts. The bodybuilding era came with Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these people like, okay, today we do chest, today we do arms, today we do... Fine. You can increase the size and strength in specific areas of your body. But at the expense of not training your brain to actually connect with the rest of the body. Strength should serve movement. That's a fact. And I repeat it. Strength should serve movement. You want to strengthen a specific part of the body? Okay. Your brain is always looking for a reason. Why we are making this arm bigger? Why we are making this arm stronger? We should have a target. Let's say there's a throw, it's a pull, it's to climb better is to just crawl better. What is the reason you are strengthening this part of the body? If not, you're going to always have compensation in your body or just useless muscle mass that your brain doesn't know how to use. Like you can be as big as you want, but it's going to be useless strength because your brain is always looking for a higher purpose, this movement. So the kinetic change came from connecting every single part of your body to allow certain movement patterns that you as a human being are designed for based on what brought you here. And in that from thousands of years back, we've been repeating specific movement patterns that brought you to the body composition you have right now. And that we are good running, we are good walking, we are good throwing. That's it. About lifting and making bulky and muscle mass and bodybuilding, we human beings are not good at. We can adapt to that perfectly. We are not designed for that. Starting by how narrow your feet is. If we would be designed to lift weight, we will be a way wider base of support in your fit, not just narrow. And that you have narrow fit because you are made to move as fast as you can, as, as long distance as you can. That's it. You can adapt. Yeah. Look at the calisthenics guy. They can walk in your hand, with their hands and the human body is great and adapting to everything. Other thing is understanding what your body is good at and what you are created for and what brought you to the point that you are right now as the kinetic chain for. Wow, man. Wow, that's deep, dude. That's deep. I love it. You just shit on like all the bodybuilders and crossfitters and everybody. Like I'm sitting here, I'm like, wait, let me look at my feet. Are they wide enough? So I, like, should, should I stop squatting? Like, dude, that's, 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 that's rough. But you know what? You're 100% right. I mean, humans, we evolved as hunters. That's why we can run. Yeah. We can outrun in distance any animal out there. Yeah. You know, speed wise, no, we'll get our asses handed to us. But in terms of distance, mm-hmm. you know, we can track. Yeah. We can track for days. You know, so. Most than running, you are actually walkers. You can cover huge distances just walking, but with how good you are adapted and evolved in that specific pattern, how good we evolve doing that. We can save up to between running and walking the 70% of energy just walking instead of running. So that's telling you that how good we are just walking. That's why that allows us to cover the entire planet. Like we are talking about how hard taking a plane is from here 
to the States. We did it walking. I don't know how, but there was humans in the States before we took a plane to discover the States. Like, <laughs> I don't know how yeah. we did it. <laughs> yeah. We covered the entire planet. I don't know how, just walking. Now, let's talk about walking. I'm glad you brought that up. Like, this is awesome. That's, cool. That's a perfect lead into the feet. Mm-hmm. And you've been posting a lot about feet lately. And mainly, I loved what you posted about Prada. <laughs> I'm going to throw them out there. So, and, and which yeah, is yeah. true. I mean, Prada, Nike. To me, it's like you're putting a cast on your feet. And it sucks. I wish I could are. walk around barefoot every day. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Dive into that and your annoyance with <laughs> shoes and sneakers and these huge heels you're seeing now. Well, there we are. You couldn't express it better. It's like literally putting a cast on your feet. Like shoes... Or whatever you put in your body does two things to your brain, which is distorting the signal and delaying the signal, right? We, as a human body, we have the orchestral director, which is our brain. So our brain bases all the reactions that we have, all the outputs through mainly three different inputs, sensory inputs from our body, which is your eyes, your hands, your foot, and your feet. You're already covering, like completely distorting the signal your brain is receiving from your foot. We just said that we are mainly walkers. We are bipillars and biphasic. Like, let's say more than 50% of the information that the brain receives comes from your eyes, from your foot. Because you're walking, you don't walk with your hands, right? If it will be uh, lights off, you will start trying to palpate things. But since there's plenty of light, you just relay on your eyes and your foot. Now you are covering your foot, meaning that the signal your brain is receiving from the foot is distorted. You're going to be less able to anticipate movement, to feel how the ground looks like, to stabilize less. And it's not just at the moment we're talking about since you are born, you are told wear your shoes, wear your shoes, and that you never give the chance to your feet to develop. We see this actually, unfortunately, every single day. And it's one thing that I believe that I brought to the clinic we work on. I never saw a physio telling a patient, take your shoes off, I want to see your foot. For me, it's completely related. So the moment we get a new patient in, is, okay, take as much clothes from your body as you can. We want to see how the kinetic chain is acting and why in your body, what brought you to that point of pain or discomfort and how your foot is actually affecting your movement. 95 of the patients we receive have underdeveloped foot, meaning that the entire body doesn't know how to react because the signal they're receiving from the foot is distorted. And guess what? Your hip is the powerhouse of your body. Your hip does what the foot Want. Whatever the foot says, the hip reacts. And that if you have no foot control or foot awareness of the control you have on your hip, it's going to be bad. It's going to be destroyed. So that's why it's one of the points that I focus the entire attention of my treatment plans on. Take your shoes off, take your socks off. And 99% of the times I discover something happening in your body coming from down there from your foot. Either it's underdeveloped or you don't know how to control it. Ranges of motion blocks. Or really, people don't know how to use their foot. I was just going to ask you because I can pick up a pencil with my foot, like with my toes. And someone was like, dude, I can't do that. I was like, come on, everyone could do it. And I was Mm -hmm. astonished. (laughs) I was shocked. And I was like, Mm -mm. wow, all right, I want to keep this trick. (laughs) So (laughs) so how important, I mean, would you recommend people doing toe exercises, for instance, or doing something as simple as trying to pick up a pencil with their foot to reestablish connection. Oh, yes. Basic exercises since like uh, putting a towel or the moment you take your clothes off, throw it in the floor and try to grab them with the foot and pick them again up. Or just putting your foot and your ankle through extreme positions to have awareness of how far your ankle can go. And it's actually a good exercise to 
be aware of the possible blockages that you can have and limitations in the ranges of motion or as simple as just try to just perform smooth and big circles with your foot, both directions up and down. Try to explore how much range of motion you can and you'll be thrilled the amount of dysfunction you can see in people just doing very simple movements that should be normal in the foot. Huge, huge time. So can we say the uglier your feet are, the better you move? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> right? I mean... Not I mean, uglier, no, but like... No, the opposite. They're <laughs> wider. It's women, especially because their feet are supposed to be cute. They look petite. They look narrow. Yeah, I see that every day. Right. right. But uh, it actually, it's... Even though there isn't pain, people don't think that this narrow foot now is not allowing you to push off. And then there's other issues that develop up the chain. So, I mean, if you look at like people that live in the jungles and stuff and you look at their feet. Yeah, that was my point. The best foot I've ever seen was a patient of mine brought one of her mates because she was in pain and she wanted me to treat her. She had the nicest foot and most developed foot I've ever seen. I asked her, do you do something? Like, no, I never wear shoes. That simple. That was so wide, so perfectly shaped. Everything was in place, space in between foot. Like that was amazing. I was just thrilled. And it's actually how it's supposed to be. Like the moment you are born, all the toes are spread. You have a perfect shape on the foot and it develops in that way. What happens is the moment you are born, you are told to wear shoes or the narrower the better and just compressed and uh, practice sports with them. And you're never actually free to experience and explore what grasping and earthing feels like. That's a big mistake. So are you a big fan of grounding and earthing? I'm assuming, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, they, I need it. Dude, I, we got to bring you back on the show. And we got to talk about <laughs> stuff like that too, man. Let's do it. Pleasure. Dude, people here don't understand the value of just grounding yourself and walking around in the woods barefoot or walking mm-hmm. around in a mm-hmm. park in grass. Mm-hmm. I mean, that for me, like if we, when we go in the summer to Boston, like I'll walk through the park in the grass and I'm just like, this feels good. Mm-hmm. Or in the sand at the beach. Awesome. Nothing's more common than that. Awesome. Right? I mean, that's pretty calming. Now, What about like toe separators? I've seen those kind of thrown around. People, you know, you kind of put them in, they wedge in between your toes, kind Uh of separating them. What do you think about those? Is there any merit to them or no merit? No, it's a tool that I use with my patients when I saw that the way you bastardize your food is that much that you actually need uh, bigger measures. So what the toe separators do is to actually get you in the original and optimal shape of your foot. It allows you to spread your toes. So it does no magic. There's no magic on them. If you put your toe separators alone, will not do anything. If you take your shoes alone, will not do anything. You have to then give stimuli. You have to stress them in that position. So once I get the shape I want, then I train my patients wearing the toe separators. And in that now the foot is receiving the stimuli I want. The stimuli it's meant to be. As wide as it is the foot, now the foot is receiving the stimuli I want. Either it's for balance, for stability, for mobility. But during that 45 minutes, that foot will be receiving the stimuli I expect. That's the main purpose. That's... It's pretty cool, man. Like I, I never thought I'd get a lesson on the foot today. Like this is this is some interesting stuff. Like but what he's is... taught me and myself in my practice is physio, and I am one physio that did look at feet. <laughs> but he brought a good point too. It's just people then will be able once they know how to use push off off their foot properly. Then when they go into shoes, then they're able to still use those mechanics in their shoes. You know, and that's something you know I learned from practicing with him. People can't learn how to push off properly or they're having problems with running because they don't know how to let their foot move properly because they're put in a shoe. 
So if they're taught fine how to move barefoot, wear some sort of barefoot shoe, and then eventually when they go back into their runner, their foot will know what to do. Everyone always thinks that he says, oh, never be in shoes. He's like, no, people can be in shoes. Your feet should have an idea of what's going on while they're in there. That makes sense. No, that makes sense. Now, what would you say to someone that says, because I've, I've heard this argument too, you've been in shoes so long. <laughs> I love seeing this. <laughs> You'll see someone that gets on the no shoe bandwagon, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see them in the gym. All right. I've seen this countless times of their normal shoes on, all that stuff. Then one day, all of a sudden, they're doing everything barefoot. Yeah, that's a mistake. Look, I'm guilty. I've done it. Okay. I tried jumping barefoot. My legs killed for three days. It was just excruciating pain mm-hmm. on my ankles. And then I got into reading more that, no, you gradually... There's a transition that needs to be happening. Of course, like one of the mistakes is you get so excited about this. Okay, from now on, no shoes anymore. That's great. You took a great decision. But understand that out of the, let's say, 30 years of your life wearing shoes, you cannot just change completely. It's like, let's assume now you want to break keto. So from today, just keto. Like your body just will break down. Like it's not ready for that. It has to be a progressively adaptation here. So one of the things that we do or I do is like, okay, from now on, the way we're going to train, we'll start with keep your socks on. So instead of three centimeters of foam, because of your runner shoes or your training shoes that you are used to, your Nike, whatever, you will feel the thin layer of your socks then for one week. Then the next week, we're going to remove the socks and you're going to start feeling the ground. You're going to start feeling the what your feet is telling you, how the information you receive from down. And gradually you start with the lacrosse ball rolling on. I want also to uh, look for different surfaces other than the man-made, just flat and steel floor, grass, sand, wood, rocks, pebbles, whatever. Let the foot feel what's telling you and, and that happens stress in different environments. And how it is working. This, to go from zero to hundred is never good. Unfortunately, that's what we all tend to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we see something on Instagram or on the internet now and it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. And then like you're, you know, you're in pain for a couple of days. And I would like to translate this exactly the same for people who does nothing that people who is encouraged to join CrossFit, exactly the same. You cannot start from doing nothing or not having awareness to your body for 25, which is the average kiddos interest of going into CrossFit from all the way, start lifting way. And you haven't considered, I have nothing against CrossFit. It's just the way it's sold. Like CrossFit is not for everyone, no way. Uh, You could reach the level that you are ready to do CrossFit. Yes. But CrossFit since day one, no way. There's hundred things that you have to actually know about your body and how capable you are to go through that movements uh, before you actually start CrossFit. And it's actually one thing that I've I've seen here in Kuwait, like people come from nothing to having the option of joining a box because all my friends are in that box. So I'm going to join CrossFit also. So you all of a sudden are enrolled in a 20 people class and doing what they are ready for and you don't. And then injuries happen. We've seen like many teenagers suffering from disc due to deadlifts or whatever squats. And that's something we have to just be aware of. It's not good. Look, I I do CrossFit. Mm -hmm. I got into CrossFit at the age of 35. I hated it for years because everyone's like, you destroy your body, but I love to compete. Mm-hmm. And this for me after baseball was like, all right, you know, I get to compete again against guys my age at times and whatever. Awesome. But it comes down to the coach, it comes down to the trainer, True. right? I mean, I mean, just like with a physio and just like with a doctor, 
Absolutely true. It, it comes down to the person, whether they have they have some authenticity and they actually care about the client or the patient. They don't just see them as a number. And you just said to you, you came from a background of baseball yeah. and of bodybuilding. So you're already predispositioned better to be more successful at CrossFit or handling the load more than, say, someone starting, okay, let's do CrossFit three times a week, four Yeah, you know what week. to expect. Your body's been already there. Even if there's different movements or different environments, okay, your body knows how to move. It's different. So how would you tell the CrossFit coach, all right, or the boot camp trainer? Because I hate boot camp more than CrossFit, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, boot camp, I think, is going to get more people hurt than yeah. CrossFit. Yeah, what would you tell them to integrate slowly? Because I've seen it in the States with 50, 60-year-old people going into a class for their first time, and I've seen what the trainers do with them. Mm -hmm. to get them ready for some of these movements, whether it's the right way or wrong way, but they pay attention to it. What word of advice would you give some trainers and coaches? Well, I've been there. I've been uh, performing classes for groups of 20, 25 people, like very like normal, not at least at all, middle to elder people. And it's something that I really, really enjoyed. Bring them to the point that they feel confident, they feel strong, they feel stamina, they feel competent. What I've done is what are the movements are going to be useful the most for these people and how to start from point zero, assuming that they are dumb. They don't nothing like they know nothing. OK, how do we start from zero to actually I get into the movement weekend because there's 25 of them. Probably there's people who already know the movement, but there's majority will not know the movement. So let's start from the point that nobody knows anything. You make them understand what do you want and why they will accept. They will go from them. If you don't have the chance to do that, you already paid, you are in a CrossFit gym, whatever, don't integrate beginners in the class that is already going on. Either you break down the class or you sketch another class for beginners or call it whatever, because people don't want to be a beginner, right? Even if it's necessary, people don't want to be a beginner. Okay, don't make them feel like they don't nothing. So you have to go through less things. I don't, I don't know, make it in a way that there's basic and fundamental patterns that need to be learned first before you actually jump into the more complex things. Do you think gyms should start integrating two coaches instead of one and have one coach working with the, because I mean, let's be realistic cost wise, you know, uh -huh. at the end of the day, businesses don't give a shit anymore about right. having healthy people walk around. <laughs> and I had a gym owner tell me that the other day. I said, look, your best marketing tools, your clients. He goes, yeah, you know, we forget about our clients all the time. I'm like, dude, are you serious, man? <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, I was talking to this guy. He's a, he's been a gym owner for years here in mm -hmm. Kuwait. And his gym's been okay. You know, it's in a prime spot, you know, and it's got the old school name to it. So a lot of guys go there. But at the end of the day, it's like, dude, your clients are going to market you. You should care about them. That yeah, should be definitely. your priority. Definitely. So. I think it would be a big thing to open a box with the logo, we teach you how to do CrossFit instead of we do CrossFit. 80% of people don't know how to do CrossFit. They want to do CrossFit. Yeah. So they will go, okay, I want to do CrossFit. Teach me how to do CrossFit. Then you start from point zero. Then there's no buts. There's no, everyone will go because they don't know anything about their body. Let's start from scratch. Okay. Like even if they did individual, everyone who's joined, individual screening, you one-on-one -on -one with the coach and see what can you do? Show me what you think a squat is, what a lunge is. Can you stand on one leg? Can you do a push-up? Basic functional right. movement Movements, assessment, right. yeah. And if they can't do that, then they have no business being in the class. Then they should be doing one-on-one -on -one PT, working on that until they're integrated. The PT feels, okay, you can do these movements. You can mimic the CrossFit movements on your own. Then, okay, 
join a class. It's simple as that. And it's actually more money for them because a lot of the CrossFit gyms are doing CrossFit and they have individual PT there. So it should just be mandatory. Everyone come in has a screening one-on-one. Also make it in a way that you actually make it fun. Okay, this week we're going to learn these three new movement patterns. Okay, so the entire woods, the entire workouts of the day will be based on that thing that you've been learning during that week. Nothing else. Don't try to add uh, overhead things or throwing things or whatever. Just focus on these three things and make sure that you master them before we actually progress. Simple. Yeah, makes total sense. I mean, it's funny. Today I was at Trampo with my son and my mother was there, right? Mm-hmm. And my mother's like 63. So she gets on the trampoline and she starts bouncing. Above, Whoa, stop. <laughs> like, you haven't done this in years. <laughs> like, no offense, but, you know. And she was like, oh, yeah, Melissa destroyed her knee like that. I'll get off now. And I'm like, yeah, that's the smart. So it's the same thing with CrossFit or any activity it's or progression. any sport. It's the progression. And I mean, a lot of guys, especially guys that lift weights, they forget. They build all this muscle. Then they go and do a wind sprint on the beach or a wind sprint in a soccer game. They pull their hamstring. It's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, dude, Mm -hmm. you're a powerful person. And you, when was the last time you trained sprinting? Yeah. Yeah. You become specific in the things you do the most, right? You doing CrossFit doesn't mean that you don't going to just randomly play a football game and you're just going to pull your hamstrings. As you said, of course, it's going to happen. has to be a progressive adaptation to whatever you attempt to do. Always. All right, so now let's shift gears a little bit since we're talking a little bit about CrossFit and weightlifting and bodybuilding. Now, with squats, deadlifts, and the big movements, the big the big four, <laughs> squat, deadlift, bench press, and I throw bench press in there, and overhead press. <laughs> what are some of the best activation techniques people can do so that they avoid injury? Okay, let's just make me remark how... Poor your not your meaning your no, 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 community. You're, you're good. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> the amount of movement you are missing just by qualifying that for as the big movement, it's tremendous. Like you are missing all the fun your body can do actually. But yeah, okay, let's focus on that. I'm hey, trying hey, to look, help you. Look, my wife's a power lifter. They only do three movements. They do squat, bench, press, That's deadlift. Even worse. <laughs> all right, we went far, right? I know, I know, dude. So I threw in the overhead press because. I mean, you see it all the time, 60-year-olds that can't reach over their head. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sad. So mm-hmm. you can rip on that. Actually, go ahead, man. Like <laughs> Seriously, go ahead and rip on it. No, it's one of the, for me, it's one of the biggest mistakes, like the fitness community is like yeah. doing right now. Like, okay, if you tell them, let's train, you automatically, like instantly, you think about squats, bench press, and deadlift. That's it. Like, it's something that the fitness industry has been bombarding for years, sadly. And you're missing, as I said, all the fun that you can have just using and learning how to use your body. And what can serve you to activate better that muscles? I would say making sure that both sides of your body are as even as you can. Like you are always forgetting that doing that movements that you are doing like very linear movement, which is up, down or front, back. Fine. There's no rotations there. And that unfortunately or fortunately, you are bipedal and bifasic, meaning that you're what your upper body does one thing, the lower body does exactly the opposite. There's crossing change in your body. You're always going to be more dominant in one side of the body than the other, meaning that your brain pays more attention to one side than the other, meaning that you are more skilled in one side than the other, meaning that you're stronger in one side than the other. When you apply a bar, for example, let's, you want to lift the bar as horizontally and plain as you can, right? Fine. But one side of the body is doing more effort than the other, for sure, 100%. Either it's a bench press, there is a deadlift or an overhead squat. So in your trainings, you're going to make sure that both sides of the body separately do actually 
almost the same effort and has the same importance with that. That's what that would be my advice. And it's something that I've been seeing people getting injured constantly because one side of the body is doing more effort than the other, 100%. So more more bilateral training, like, yeah. like accessory work, as, as they call it. Unilateral, sorry, yeah. Accessory work, as like the fitness community calls it now. Yeah, I would consider the big four as accessory work, actually. Yeah. I will just do the main one, the entire training or the entire session or the entire programmation focus on making sure that both sides are as even as you can. Even if the main goal is actually lift one plain bar, like linear movement from down to up or front to back. I really believe that you're going to be way more powerful if you train in the other way and then the result will be way more. I 100% believe it. I, I agree. I mean, dude, it's worked with me. To be honest with you, really, I, I used to love, <laughs> no, no, I used to love bench pressing, single arm, mm -hmm. single arm dumbbell bench press. I chose that over the bar because I started to notice my right was extremely stronger than my left. Mm -hmm. When I, you know, when I got to dumbbells, I was like, all right, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Something way off. So I, I ditched the bar. Then I went to that. And I still try to incorporate rotational movements. Because I know how important they are because I used to play baseball. Mm -hmm. So do you want to dive into that on the obliques, especially because the obliques have a lot to do with your body. People neglect it. They don't do any rotational movements like, you know, med ball throws or wood chops. And yeah, it's something that is not uh, very common in the workout of the day. Unfortunately, it's something like very like rare. one exercise just of rotational movements. And it happens that you are constantly rotating with your body, meaning that you are training your body or building strength and muscle mass in very isolated movements, which is up and down from back. You are missing the rotation. It's the third main plane of motion of your body. So it's not actually just the obliques. It's a chain coming from your foot, going to your knees, your hip, the opposite oblique, and all the way up to your head. And that's the spiral line. Spiral line, what does is just make, allow you to perform twists, chops, rotations, uh, thrusts, and throws. And it's something that I work a lot on it because I see how people and fitness aficionados lack, like the spiral line movement and the rotations movement. 90% of fitness programs are focused on, as I said, only the two linear movements from back up down. They always forget the rotational one. It's very like something we need, we need to highlight and put more emphasis on. If there were two exercises you could throw in, what would they be? First, I would add mobility. Make sure that the tissue can actually go through the range of motion you after going to ask to perform. So some mobility in the range of motion to the dissociating the lower body than the upper body. And then, of course, starting from some very basic throws to the wall, just getting comfortable, getting used to see how the movement works from the foot, barefoot I'm talking about, from your foot all the way to the spine and just start progressing from there. Just throw. You can tell it's perfectly, just get a baseball ball and set a target, just throw the ball. You will see how much power you miss by not using the elastic energy that you can coil from your foot coming to your hand and finishing with your fingers instead of just throwing this way. Yeah. Right? When this spiral line is involved, you will just get the elastic energy from your foot, rolling the entire body, and then the throw ends from your, from your fingers. So it's telling you how important this line is. But can't some of that be credited to like just being neurologically there in terms of genetics? You know, mm -hmm. there are some guys that can throw a baseball extremely hard. I mean, I'm just saying because you brought it up. I, on the other hand, I had a lot of elbow problems, a lot of shoulder problems because I didn't use my whole body. Mm -hmm. I literally used my arm like a slingshot, you know, and I threw really hard. But, you know, I, I suffered the consequences versus some guys that I knew that were my size 
through harder than me, but knew how to actually, it just clicked for them. Yeah, they could just connect the dots, so to speak. So could you say that there is a neurological factor that plays a part? And if there is, how can we better that? Well, neurological factor asks what? Neurologically, some people, they just don't get that connection from foot to right arm, so to speak, if you're a right-handed thrower. It's about training it. It's about having the chance or, or being lucky enough to actually meet or mimic someone who actually does the same movement. And you start exploring why this person throws harder or faster or stronger than I do and seems effortless when I'm just draping off my shoulder and my elbow every time I throw or I thrust. So it's about actually mimicking or someone just breaking down the entire movement pattern from what your foot does, what your knee does, what your hip does, how the trunk rotates and how the elbow on your shoulder goes through. It's about training always. All right, man. I'm going to send you a good baseball player. He's a good baseball player. He, <laughs> he, if you were to evaluate him, you'd be like, dude, your whole right side is dysfunctional. <laughs> All right, let's fix this and, and go from there. You know? Bring them. Because <laughs> he's, he's, he's a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. And I, there's more potential in him if he learns how to move better with his body. So, definitely. And I think someone like you could probably definitely teach him mm-hmm. that. Let's go back to like when we're exercising. Mm -hmm. What should we focus on in our feet in terms of pressure points? Where should we? You hear a lot of people say, oh, you want to stay on the balls of your feet. Put pressure on the inside of your foot, the outside of your foot. Screw your feet into the ground. What would you say to that? Again, for the foot, what happens is majority of us are not aware of how they really work. So this is one thing that I call explorations, which is actually the very first sessions of uh, the treatment plan is about, okay, let's try to connect. Let's try to listen what your foot is telling you and how involved is with the entire body. So I will take off your shoes and socks, make you close your eyes, and I'll try to go through different positions, different movements, different key points. For example, the balance, the way you press the most, is it in your heels? Is it in your toes? Is it in the lateral side, is in the medial side, and try to reinforce where's the right point and bring you there eventually and progressively, right? Once you explore that and once you are aware of where's the best way, you automatically use it. You want to be there because you feel that everything works well once you are in that position. So it's making you understand what's wrong and make you feel what's right and why, how the body works better in that position. Okay. Now, are, are some of us just built differently in terms of like how our bones are connected and the size of each bone. I mean, can some of it be chalked up to be just being built differently, you know, in a different way than others? For instance, I've had so many physical therapists say, let's correct your forward shoulder, let's correct your forward shoulder. And I really worked on it. And I did a lot of work. I did a lot of, you know, the exercises. I always tried to sit with my posture and everything. Mm -hmm. And like, Two, three months later, I tore my left labrum, <laughs> all right? And then the I get this one back, I tear my right labrum. Again. And it was just like, shit. So could it just be built differently? I followed, look, I followed everything. And when the doctor in the States, three doctors here wanted to operate, one doctor in the States said, look, I'm going to give you a cortisone shot, do these exercises for two months, swing a baseball bat. If you can do it pain-free, you're good. Mm-hmm. If you can't, come back and see me. Mm-hmm. Did the exercises religiously, stuck to the program. Alhamdulillah, thank God, everything kind of healed up well. But I've stopped forcing myself into the positions that I used to try to force myself into. So can you comment on that a little bit? Or Well, there's, there's always uh, a um, like a geogenetic component. Like um, 
people from Africa is different from people from the north of Europe and people from Asia is different from people from America, right? Yeah, man, you're tall. I'm short. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so they say that you are the result of your habits. I would say you are the result of your environment. So you shape in what's your environment, like stressing you on it. For example, if you are lifting constantly, you are walking a specific way, you are under a specific weather or temperature or zone, like it's more rainy stuff than dry, like you're going to shape differently. You are the result of your environment. So genetically factors, of course, they influence, but also there's, as I said, the environment just shapes you. So you're going to be the things that you do the most. You're going to be better runner if you are forced to run. You're going to be better lifter if you are forced to lift in your daily basics. Your body always adapts. For example, people from Africa are better runners than any other place in the world. Like they, they have genetically larger legs. And I don't know, their body composition is completely different. There was this say like they have one muscle more than the rest of the world. <laughs> That's not like that. <laughs> it's like their genetics are different. So yeah, the genetics is also always going to influence what you are or what you don't but you also are the result of your environment. What's, what you stress the most your body doing that, you're going to become. So if you, if you stress trying to reinforce your body back to the way it was, I mean, could you end up like me with two torn labrums and just being like, all right, you know what, screw it. I'm not going to try this anymore because it failed miserably. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still, I still strengthen you know, the back of my rotator cuffs. I still work a lot on my back because I know how important those muscles are. But... I don't try to force that postural position anymore. So would you say some of it's okay versus like, for instance, one of my questions was about a knee cave, a slight knee cave of someone squatting with weight. Is that okay just based on how they're built or should they try to avoid a knee cave at all costs? There's always a movement pattern or a postural pattern that bring us to be more efficient. Again, why are you... Like assuming that position was the main goal, was the movement purpose of that position you're assuming, like like putting your knees inside. For me, yes, it's a deficiency, it's a dysfunction that we will need to correct. It's not, you are losing efficiency in your movement by your knees going inside or going outside. Like as lin the linear you are, the better your energy transit inside your body, the more efficient you are. So I don't know if, let's say, for example, Usain Bolt has scoliosis, say, I would not dare to correct his scoliosis. He's the fastest man on earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But why, which point are you and what do you want to achieve? Like you are playing the game of, okay, high athletes. I'm not going to touch the same. I'm not going to try to correct his scoliosis. Someone like, let's say, uh, Mohammed, he has 45 years old and he has knee valgus and he wants just to live better, play with his kids, be fit, be strong, have stamina. Yes, I'm going to correct his knee valgus, right? what your posture is serving you for. It's always like the goal. And there's no better or worse um, sport practice or exercise practice is what you are enjoying the most, what makes you happy, what makes your day better, and uh, what's fulfill your soul doing that. And there's also, there has to be always a balance between risk and what's safe. You're always going to compete and push you harder and get out of your comfort zone. But the risk of that or, or the main goal should always be as healthy as you can and just live your daily life as without pain.
I love it, man. That's pretty much what LeBron James's trainer said when he got bashed on Instagram for LeBron James doing a three-quarter squat. He's like, dude, he doesn't have to squat all the way down. Uh-huh. The guy doesn't have to go all the way down squat. He's he's dunking a basketball. Exactly. He'll <laughs> never. He's like risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to put him in that, you know, that plane of injury, which, dude, I mean, I love what you said, dude. That's like, that's like Thank hitting you. the nail right on the head, dude. <laughs> Seriously, man. I was trying to, I was going to pick a fight with you, too. <laughs> Come, <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking, man. I got nothing, dude. You'd stop me any day of the week, buddy, but that's, that's pretty cool. Now, what about like rounding of the back, too? Like rounding of the lower back and excuse my language. You see a lot of guys that are in CrossFit. We'll uh, use that as an example. Mm-hmm. They'll do a deadlift and they look like a dog taking a shit. You yeah, know, best yeah. best way to describe it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or if they're doing a squat in the same way. Mm-hmm. How dangerous is that? Well, it is. You are putting your spine in the most intra-disc pressure and you can plus add in an external load. Listen, I, I love doing CrossFit. Like in my summer breaks, when I go home and I have one month vacation, the first thing I do is just run to the CrossFit box that I, I join. And religiously every day I perform the works of the day and I enjoy it. I, I destroy myself. Like it really feel in one month, I just get bigger, stronger, faster, whatever. But there's a difference here. I know my body. I know my limits. So I read the workout of the day. Fine. I modify the weight. I modify the reps. And I don't care about the rest of the people. I do it my way, I do it my time. And I don't compete with the others. I compete with myself. So it's like, and most of the times I also modify the exercises that the coach is suggesting. Like instead of deadlift barbell, I get a kettlebell and I do single leg or single arm deadlift because I know that the kinetic chain works and my body works better unilateral way. So he has nothing against it. He knows me. Do whatever you want. I am no one to tell you what to do. <laughs> So it's one of the things that I love. Like you always have to know your limitations. If you are not able to perform a deadlift with your hip hinge and perfectly engaging your glutes, you are like exposed to a major injury. Like you have to know that. And you or me as a coach, I should be the first one to say, hey, stop it there. Forget the deadlift. Let's focus on something or I'm taking you apart. And I'm going to make sure that you know how to hip hinge before we progress. Because especially with everyone who's doing CrossFit now between in their 20s and 30s, during that time frame and our discs are their juiciest. This is when they're full of water content. And this is when herniations and ruptures will happen. As we get older, our discs start to dry up. So the disc problems as we have as we get older, it's a little bit more of arthritis and it's a little bit more of just joints rubbing. Doing a loaded lift in a rounded back Yes, that's going to damage your disc and that's going to start disc bulges and that's eventually going to push it out. Having a rounded back, just bending over and picking up something with no load. Yeah, that's fine. But it's it's with the load that that's where it's going to give you problems. So a Jefferson curl is okay without without load. Without, I mean, I, I do it as part of a warm just to stretch mm. out. Even, like with, even with load, if you are ready to do it for a beginner, of course, I will never add load in that movement. But of course, even there's a hinging pattern for you to be efficient and risk-free and making your body just activate the key points that you have to. You have to be able to pass by every single degree of mobility your spine has. It's actually side bend, rounded, curve, whatever you want. If you cannot, meaning that you are going to be always compensating from that lack of movement. It doesn't matter which one is, right? That's one of the things I focus the most. Let's put the joint in every single degree that the joint can go through. Then you 
brain will start developing brain maps of the body way different than just going extension and flexion, extension and flexion. There's side bend, there's rotations, there's just segmentation movement, just moving your lower back, your upper back from your neck. So you start being aware of your body. So eventually you get to a hip hinge without thinking with the right pattern. Not because you are taught the right pattern, because your body understands that that's the more efficient way, that's the, more, that's the most safe way to do that. It's completely different. You're in the forest. You don't want to hip hinge. You will want to round your back to avoid certain branches, certain trees during certain movements. So it's always the environment you are on. You are lifting weight. The most safe way of safe uh, pattern to do it is always hinging your hips and make sure that the movement starts from the foot grasping and connects from your superficial posterior chain, going up to your hips and just pulling up. Wow, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no offense, he's he's better than any physiotherapist I've ever <laughs> Hands down. There's, there's also, um, down. You weren't treated by me. <laughs> I don't know, man. You, you used to run the clinic, so. <laughs> there's I'm also sorry, a factor. I'm just, I'm just joking. There's also a factor we need to consider is how uh, sedentary our society is. So out of the one hour, you're going to be exposing your body to lift weight in certain different positions. The rest, 23 hours, meaning that the 95% of the day, you're going to be sitting down. Either it's in your car, in your dining table, in your job, or when you go back home, you are tired and you just on the couch. You are putting your hips in a posterior tilt all the time. And then the right movement pattern to lift is an anterior tilt, a position your hip is not used to do it, right? So then not just going to ask for anterior tilt, but you are adding the load to that anterior tilt. We have a problem there. So anterior, just to clarify to the listeners, is Sorry. your belt buckle pointing towards the ground, basically. I always say arch and curve. Curve meaning a mountain, that going to be posterior tilt, okay. and arch going to be a anterior tilt. Okay. okay, all right, all right. Just arch, want to clarify, because we, we have <laughs> listeners that have no idea what we're talking Sorry. about. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Dude, how did you get started in all of this? I mean, oh. that should have been like the first question I asked, but mm. like, I mean, you're, you're so knowledgeable. You've been, you must have been doing this for years. Like, well, surprisingly, not really. I've been a professional football player my entire life until, uh, unfortunately, I suffered four major injuries with surgery, each one, meaning that I had two lower back discs and two uh, shoulder tear repairs, like dislocation. I was completely out for six months, every single surgery. Meanwhile, while I was professional, I was also studying in the, uh, how is it in English? Sports science? Yeah. Sports science uh, in the university, which I have to highlight didn't serve me at all, zero. People who expect to get knowledge from the university and getting ready to work, forget it. It's just a degree that just the government gives you. <laughs> I love it. So true, though. Mm -hmm. I, got, I got my master's degree and it's useless. It's Good. toilet paper. That's what it Say is. It. It's, it's really... That's what it is. Like, I wish I spent my money on something better. It's like, Say it. you know, the biggest racket in the world right now is education. Yeah. Like, that's the mafia right there. Yeah, right? True, They're ripping true, people true. off. Less titles and more expertise, more hours putting in. So it's about that. So, well, by the age of 27, I've decided that with my last surgery in my shoulder, the risk I was exposing my body to was not worth anymore by the money I was getting on compensation for that. So I took the hardest decision in my life, which was until here, that's it. Let's start a new life. And all of a sudden I discovered a new world was, okay, let's put in practice all the knowledge I get from the university and all what I know about my own body and my own recoveries. And let's try to help other people. 
So I started making advertisements. I print a thousand of them and I start walking through the neighbor and putting each one in the mailbox, <laughs> expecting that one of them will call me. And it happened. One of them called me like, hey, I'm looking for a personal trainer. I said, okay, we started that service. And then the word of mouth starts spreading out of the neighbor. And I found joy helping people that don't know how to move or how to do things being better with the, with the reward of, you know, I went to the park and I was playing with my nephew and I was playing with my grandson and I felt amazing. Instead of just training high skill level athletes, I never enjoyed that because I found it very easy. But just giving the chance to a normal person to get rid of their pain or their back problems or what were they suffering or what were they not capable to achieve, I found joy of that. So I started digging in that, researching, reading, educating myself in that way until I became what I am right now. Amazing, dude. Amazing. <laughs> I'm talking about six, seven years ago, probably. That's pretty cool, dude. That's pretty cool. I mean, you dropped some some definite knowledge bombs. Both of you dropped some real knowledge bombs mm. here tonight. I'm going to try not to heckle him. And, and You should have. I was, no. I, was, I, was, I was definitely looking forward to it. Like I was like, all right, maybe we can both pick on the guy. No, <laughs> no but the, dude, there's no picking on you. Like Your no. information is so legit and it's so good. The content that you put out there, compared to some of the other bullshit that I see, <laughs> especially from especially from here, this region, mm. which now it's like everyone goes to a course for a weekend and they're a physiotherapist. Yeah. Expert like, in something, right? Or yeah, CEOs in something. I know, right, dude? <laughs> I know. It's like, I saw something, yeah. this guy was like, yeah, I can teach you how to be, you know, it's a sales whatever course, you mm. know, sell mm. yourself. And I'm like, dude, you wouldn't be on Instagram right now. Oh, yeah. If, and that, that, if that was the case. That was, was one of the things I was against CrossFit the most. Like to be coaching CrossFit is just a weekend course. Now it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty bad. How could you dare to consider yourself able to manage a group of 12 people minimum doing complex movement, lifting weights, being capable to just perform that class just in one weekend? Either you are a vet, you are a doctor, you are an engineer. Go to that course in one weekend, you are certified CrossFit coach. Oh my God, like, no, no, we are doing something wrong. It takes time for you to understand how the body works, what people need, and uh, the experience and the leverage. It really takes time. Even when I came here 10 years ago, everyone in Kuwait had their own personal trainers their own yoga instructors. I'm thinking, this should be the fittest country ever. <laughs> and the people yeah. I was seeing coming in couldn't even stand on one leg and fall over. I'm like, how long have you been training with this person? Three times a week. For how long? A year. I'm like, well, that person is screwing you over and ripping you off and doing mm. a complete disservice. And part of what our education from what we want to give our clients is too, is if you're training, you need to really think about how you're training and do your research of who's training you because if you're constantly training and you're having problems and constantly having pain, the problem is how you're training. And maybe the trainer is, you know, good at teaching exercise, but they're not good at correcting your dysfunction or giving you exercise to make that dysfunction better. And so I spend a long time picking who are the good trainers I know in the city who I send patients to or anyone I hear and I see what they're doing. Oh, like, give me your trainer's name. And most trainers are really good if I call them and say, hey, can you add this? Don't yeah. do this. They're good about it. And that's actually how I found out about him about a couple of years ago. A patient was telling me, oh, I'm seeing this one person. He's working on this. I said, really? Who? He's doing all these things? I'm like, give me, give me that name. Because as a physio, I need to have that person who can teach them how to move properly. Otherwise, everything I do, it's out the door. And I tell patients that too. If you don't 
actively do exercise, if you don't correct your posture, if you don't do movements to correct that, then it's pointless in coming to me and you're wasting your time and my time. Yeah, I would really want to highlight that movement therapy is part of the physiotherapy plan. Like there's no healing process just by someone putting hands on. You need to rewire your brain in the new pattern you want to put the body on. So it's not like, okay, after my session with the therapist, I'm ready to go and lift and whatever. You really need to prepare your body. Even if you had an ankle sprain or after the surgery, the tissue heals, but the brain still don't know how to connect that part of the body that it's healed now into your movement patterns. So it's really, that's where Fatima and I really blend together when we met each other. Like, okay, this is what you do. I need it. And that's what I'm doing. You need it. So patients what they were treated by both of us, the, the results were just astonishing. So that, that makes sense. I mean, when I rehab my left shoulder, well, both shoulders, mm-hmm. it was in line with a physiotherapist and my coach, mm-hmm. you know, Rob. I mean, I, I give the guy so much credit because he really worked like my left shoulder now <laughs> is stronger than my right. That's but awesome. I still think it's still healing. Like it's catching up to the left, but it was in line with a physiotherapist because they go hand in hand. Now, what about, what do you guys think about doctors? Oh, you really want to go there? <laughs> like, uh, I was, uh, like, like orthopedic surgeons specifically real quick. Cause we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask, I always ask this question. What do you guys think? What do you think about the orthopedic surgeons, especially in Kuwait and with the old school mentality? It's too much moneymaker, mm-hmm. too much moneymaker. Like you, you are BS too suck the money out of the patient without considering that patient can actually solve the problem without passing by like the cutting table and messing up your entire body for your entire life. Like once you open the body, your body remembers. So Mm -hmm. it's a very hard process to heal from. There are good doctors here, but there are some that are very old school thinking. And part of it is where they're trained. When you're trained in North America from Canada, the, a lot of the doctors, they know what the physiotherapy is here. Doctors from here, even 10 years ago, when we came in starting doing, being the first manual physiotherapist, they had no concept of what we did. Then they're thinking of physiotherapy as such ultrasound, electrical current. So part of it is the knowledge base of the doctor. But now the good doctors are the ones who are saying, go do physio, not just like four sessions, three months. Come back if it's not better. As a last thing. Yeah. Like, you know, last surgery should be last resort. Yeah. And you need doctors and you need good doctors who can clear medically if things aren't getting better throughout all the programming that you're doing. If something is still happening, then there's medical issues that should also be looked at. We need them. But again, it's the education and the relationship that you have with the doctor and with the physio or with the movement therapist to understand each roles. Yeah, we need more connection with actually the, the medical world. Like they should be closer or we should be closer if they allow us to them to for them to know what we actually do and the results we can get other than just prescribing uh, medicines and pills or just going to the table like the cut table and just messing your body. They should be like one package from doctors, from therapists to movement therapists. That should be the healing process of and, someone. And a nutritionist. Nutritionist, it has yeah. to be involved in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, right now, everyone's got a weekend nutrition certification, (laughs) so I don't know. (laughs) Well, not even nutrition, but the shit you're putting into the body. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it it sucks because over here, we don't know what the hell we're putting in our body. (laughs) I can't can't eat chicken. I eat chicken and quail for some reason, 
my body doesn't react well to it. <laughs> we are the same. Yeah, we we've stopped. <laughs> All right, so it's not just me. We, no. we, we don't. It's not chicken. just me. No. Oh my god! Thank no. God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really feel it. Like I'm from Spain, from Valencia specifically. Like I'm grown up with vegetables, fruit, and that's all what I eat. Like people get surprised how much salad I eat, and if that's enough for my body, like it's yes. Like it can tell you the difference between when I'm there, the same amount of salad, same products I put in, I get full the entire like six, seven hours. While here I eat the same and I just feel like I'm in plastic. Like there's no calories or nutrition in the food I'm eating. And it really feels my energy levels are lower. Like the stamina I get from the food is lower. You are what you eat, what your body can process of the food that you eat. And it's definitely way lower. Like the quality is so bad. 100% man. I mean, that's why I, I buy high quality beef now and I feel great. Yeah. I have my best yeah. workouts after a T-bone steak. Like a, oh. like a grass-fed high quality <laughs> yeah. beef. Because you can find that. You you. you the chickens are you being don't fed whatever. Exactly. You really don't know yeah. here. And it's scary. Someone was like, oh, why don't you buy the Kuwaiti beef? And I was like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But thank you guys so much. This was such a great episode. A lot of knowledge bombs. And thank you. we'll definitely put, you know, all the information in the show notes. People can find you guys at DISC here yep. in Kuwait. Yep. Um, you know, your website, Instagram, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Fatima, for making me a better person. And thank Aww. me for <laughs> non-stopping researching and the leverage I get Aww. to be able to be invited and, and uh, make people understand that this information could be interesting. <laughs> you should take him out to dinner. Yeah. You should cook him a T-bone steak tonight. Yeah. yeah. We're going. We're going. Now. Yeah, we're going. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at The Project Kuwait. Thank you, and join us next time.